was a day long feared in the capital. At Allgate East, where the injured were treated on the pavement outside the station. We, we, we don't know if this is over yet. We've got to remain vigilant. The public, we've got to help the police and report anything that they see as suspicious to make sure we can deal with everything straight away. Of course, now be the most intense police and security service action. Imagine this, you know, you go to a foreign country, you go to a restaurant, you're minding your business, and all of a sudden you're taken in, a hoodie is put over your head, you're held captive, tortured, with no chance in hell to get out. You're threatened with the extreme forms of torture in an Arab country where you, you have the risk of losing your teeth, you're going to pull out your fingernails, and you're going to put you through absolute hell. It's, it's a small cell which was pitch black, was red hot, and it was just covered in blood and urine and feces and that. And they shut me in there, shut the door, and it's just, there's no air in there, there's no sound in there, it's just pitch black. It's like, oh, it's like what you would expect to be if you were buried alive. And where now you have a choice, and the choice is either you fold that hand and accept defeat, or you fight like hell, you fight like a motherfucker, and you fight and use every skill set that you have inside to take yourself out of that moment. And this is exactly happened to Alam Gafur. Yo, what's going on, everyone? You got the 7-2 Mindset Investor here. Um, this story is going to move you. I am so blessed to have an amazing guest, Alam Gafur, on, on, on the podcast today. I heard his story and I had just, it had to be shared with my audience. So Alam, you know what? Welcome to the show. Welcome, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it, and it, it was actually 12 days. It was 12, it was 12 days. 12, my apologies. Yeah. 12 days, days. non-stop, around the clock. But um, yeah, I mean, Unbelievable. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. So uh, yeah, please. And, and, you know, and, and the thing is usually, you know, the way the premise of this podcast has been in the past, we sort of, you know, shoot the shit at the beginning and I ask some questions. So one of my, the questions I ask usually, you know, first few minutes in is I, I go through the seven, two stories. We talked about the worst possible hand in poker. And then what I usually ask my guests is to describe what would be their seven, two moment in life uh, where they could have felt fold their hand, but they didn't. And it changed the trajectory of your life. I feel I don't have to ask you that question because we're going to get right to your story right now. Right. So okay. perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and let's get right to this, this intense yeah. 12 days. Yeah. So I work as a professional negotiator and also as, you know, a, 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 a mindset specialist. And, and that came secondary because of my story that I'm about to reveal. But I'm a, I'm a negotiator from a young age. I was brought up in business. My great-grandparents were Silk Road traders. It's in their blood. So at, at a young age, growing up in South London, I didn't do the usual stuff. I didn't do the paper rounds and, and, and all the other stuff. No, I went down to Covent Garden, which was one of the largest wholesale fruit and veg markets in the UK at the time. And, and I would go there with my father, and I would learn how to haggle and barter and negotiate deals with the traders at the age of 12, 13. I'd get up at 4, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, be taken over there, come back home, get changed and go off to school. And so that was kind of my grounding in it. And then also my father, he was, he was a, an uneducated man, like academically, but the guy was a visionary. 
and and he, and he would put deals together and talk through things and do creative things and i would say to him dad you can't do that and he says what where is it written that you can't do it i'm not breaking the law all it is is i've got a situation and i'm asking them that this is and, and i'm telling them look this is my situation i really want to do business with you how do we make this work how can we figure this out and if you truly want me to buy over your business or take it over or partner with you we'll we'll figure this out and if not no problem you tell me to go away i'll go away and 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 it, you know it was amazing the stuff that i learned and picked up and it's that which kind of gave me the out-of-the-box thinking so from from an early age i was into martial arts and i wanted to know mindset i wanted to know how to hypnotize myself how to control my pain, how to be like a ninja, how to walk on sand and water, be like the Shaolin monk and pick up the uh, steaming hot cauldron and, and, and the scalding wouldn't affect me. Mm-hmm. And so I bought all these kind of books uh, when I was in my teens, like 12, 13 years old. And I would go, and unfortunately I had a sweet tooth. So I would go to the dentist regularly and I would need to be given the injection and then they wanted to do fillings. And I, and I read these books on self-hypnosis. So I told the dentist, I said, hey, listen, you don't need to give me the injection. I've got a way of blocking out the pain. And they look at me puzzled like I was, you know, this stupid little kid. And I say, no, no, I've got it. And I said, well, when you feel the pain, put your hand up or tap me on the arm. And, and I would put myself into this deep hypnosis, hypnotic state and disassociate myself from my face and my teeth and allow them to drill. But there was a couple of times when I fucked up and the fucking pain was incredible. And I, and I remember tapping the bloody chair and it just carried on drilling. So yeah, I, I learned how to write, you know, you better get into that bloody state if you, you want to overcome it. So it's crazy, all these kind of little things as you grow up. And, and, and this is the thing, wherever we are in life and whatever shit's going on, right? You, it's not, it's not just the, 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 the right now that's affecting you. It's everything leading up to that point that affects you. It's the narrative in your mind. It's the stories you've told yourself and the words that you have spoken to yourself from that early age of, of, of consciousness and understanding who you are and who you want to be that really affects where you are right now. And, and people say, oh, it's woo-woo, it's bullshit. Listen, man, I'll tell you, right, the stuff that I've done and the places I've been on the back of my work, Others have said, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely crazy to step into this country or step into this arena and go here and go there. But it's, it really is. This, this is your most powerful weapon. This is your greatest friend. It's also your greatest enemy. So with that being said, I'll tell you, 2005, I'm flying high. I'm all over the place. I'm putting deals together left, right and center. It's frigging easy, right? I'm doing a lot of business. So some friends come to me. They said, hey, look. We want to get into the Middle Eastern property market. We want you to come with us, go out to Dubai, be our face, be, be, be our uh, voice and help us put together some deals because the properties are skyrocketing, you know, off, off plans, off plan. You can buy something that isn't going to be built for three years. And by the time it gets built, you've doubled, tripled, quadrupled your money. Yeah. We want a piece of the action. So what we've done is collectively, we've got a pot together. And we want you to go out and, 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 and buy on our behalf and put it together. So I flew off and I land over there. Things are going swimmingly. I go off, we have meetings. And at that time, 2005, it was crazy in Dubai. People would literally walk around with, with carrier bags, shopping bags full of cash. 
like sterling dollars. I mean, you'd go to a meeting and somebody would be sat there with a quarter of a million pounds in cash and they'd be talking with you and it's like, yeah, I like what you do here. Take this and, and, and do something with it, right? It was absolutely insane. So I'm dealing on a higher level. I'm trying to close this deal on this uh, um, plot and we're going to build this ho condo hotel and all the rest of it. So that's all fine and good. We have plenty of meetings with uh, investors and partners. We're fine, fine dining all the time and everything else. And then, you know, <clears throat> as it progresses, I'm there. It, it gets extended from one week to two weeks. And on my third week, we're still there. We're still trying to sort it out. So one evening, we thought, right, there's myself, two of my friends from England, and one of my friends who lives in Dubai. I said, right, let's all go for a meal. We go to our favorite little place. We'll have a nice bit of food and we'll watch the entertainment, the cabaret. So we go off. We're sat there enjoying ourselves. And then a crowd of, uh, a crowd, a group of guys come in, five or six guys, they come in, <clears throat> regular looking guys in regular clothing. And then they come over to our table and they say something to my friend and then they nudge me on the shoulder and they say, look, step outside. So the restaurant is inside a hotel. So we, we got into the lobby and as soon as we're in the lobby, literally this guy, he makes a grab for my pocket, pulls out my phone and my keys. I look at him, I look at my mate as if I should hit him and he's like, no, don't. And then I see like a little earpiece. And as I notice that straight away, I'm pushed backwards and literally dragged out of this and thrown into a car. My friends follows, we're suddenly thumb cuffed and then the guy in the front jumps in, opens the golf compartment, pulls the gun and we speed off. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? I said, hey, 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 look, what's going on? I think you made a mistake. And I'm thinking, who were they after? Who were, who were they looking to pick up? They, they must. And then I'm thinking, I hope one of our friends doesn't pull this stupid fucking stunt because this is really fucking shit scary, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And then, anyway, so they speed off, they stop, and then they jump out, they, they open up the boot, and I'm sat there and I'm breathing heavily and I'm thinking, shit, what's going on? And then the boot slams, they come around, boom hoods are on then they speed off again and it goes from the beautiful smooth roads to bump 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 and i thought shit i'm being driven into the desert and i'm about to get executed and i'm about to get executed i don't know why and 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 you know who the fuck have they mistaken me for the car eventually stops i'm dragged into a building i'm thrown into a chair and my feet are cuffed <clears throat> and i sit there in silence again Thoughts are spinning, wondering what the hell is going on. Eventually, the, the door flies open behind me. A bunch of voices rush in. Somebody comes in, punches me on the head, pulls the hood off, and I'm confronted by these guys screaming and shouting at me. And through the noise, one of them cuts through, and he says, hey, you better start speaking. What's your name? Say Alan Gaffour. What's your name? Alan Gaffour. No, no, no. Give me your real name. We know who you are. Look, look. You've mistaken me for somebody. <laughs> You're mistaking me for somebody. No, we know who you are. You're the mastermind. You're the terrorist behind the London bombings. Jeez. Wow. <clears throat> Fucking head blew. My, my throat constricted like it was being strangled. My chest my, was going to explode with my heart pounding. My head felt like it was in a vice. The frigging room was spinning in bloody, you know, upside down. It. I thought I was going to throw up. I thought I was going to combust. So mm -hmm. I, I just could not comprehend what had been said to me. Yeah. You are the terrorist. You are the mastermind behind the London bombings. 
The London bombings had just taken place 10 days earlier. Nearly 800 people injured. I think there was 80 who died, you know, and, and, and it caused ripples across the world. Mm. Horrific, the most horrific terrorist incident we've had in the UK. And, and I, you know, look, you've mistaken me for somebody. I'm a British citizen. Call the government, call the consulate, call the embassy. No. Your government told us to pick you up. They know that you came here and you gave the order from here for those guys to go and blow up London. So no, 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 no. I don't have no connection with nobody. Look, you better start talking because my friend, you're about to die. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna ask the judge to hang you. And the other guy jumps in and he says, no, no, no. Let's throw this bastard in a pit of dogs and let the dogs rip him apart. And the other guy says, no, no, no. Let's put him on a firing squad and shoot him. And I, you know, I'm emotional. Obviously, I've broken down. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not who you're saying you're. I just, you cannot comprehend that 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 moment that that this has been said to you. You know, you could have been accused of any other crime but that. So yeah, I said, well, yeah, what do you want? And he said, look, tell us your real name. My name is Alan Gafford. That's it. No, no, no. Tell us your other names. We've got evidence of you in Afghanistan setting up training camps. We've got evidence of you in other countries doing explosives training. We've got evidence of you being in America setting up tra training camps. I said, no, you haven't. I haven't been to any of these countries you mentioned. I've been to the US. I own a house over there. I've been to Disneyland. That's it. Look, we'll, we'll leave you to think about this. You better have some answers. They went out. And that was it. I thought, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here. They're going to pin this on me. They're going to stitch me up by planting evidence in my laptop and on my phone. They can easily do that. Mm -hmm. And that's it, you know. But I'm going to die. And I've got a four-year-old son. What the fuck is he going to do <clears throat> as he grows up with this label of, of your father being a terrorist, of your father being a murderer? Mm -hmm. So that was my concern. My, my mother, I thought, my mother's going to have a heart attack. She's just going to die on the spot when they tell her. You know, when she sees on the news that I've been accused of something, she's going to die. My brothers and sisters, this is going to destroy their livelihoods, their businesses. They're going to have to change their names. And I, and I thought of all the consequences for everybody else. And I thought, you know, how the fuck have I ended up being accused of this when I don't have any links with anything and I have no wrongdoing? And then what happened was we got into this cycle of me being questioned continuously. And I, and, and I would have two guards at a time that would come in and they would question me, question me. And after maybe... A day of this, they threw me in the cell for a little while and then they dragged me out and then it would start again and I would have different teams. And then on the second day, you know, this team came in and there's a, a, a guy there, real, some people, you see them and you just know that they, they have no sympathy or empathy, they have no humanity to them. And this motherfucker, he just fucking had a cold face, man. And he looked at me and he said, hey, listen, these guys, you know, they're telling you that the judge will hang you or shoot you or this. He said, no. He said, I've, I've got the power to veto all of that. I'm going to ask him 
to put you in my custody and I'll put you in isolation for the rest of your life. And he said, every day I will come in and I, I will put you through pain and, and you're going to beg me for death. He said, you'll beg me, he said, but, but I won't let death come to you because I'll keep a doctor there who can revive you so that I can, I can make you pay for the crime that you've done. And I thought, you know, so. So the first few days, this is going on. I'm getting knocked around physically, mentally, right? You're going into sleep deprivation mode because they're, they're, you know, you're in you're in rooms where you're under extreme heat. Or they switch off the AC or they turn it on so that you're freezing cold in there. And you know, physically, you're getting beaten up all the time and you're being threatened with different things. And it just <clears throat> there was a couple of incidences, you know, where um, I was beaten up quite badly, and then I was I was taken to a shower one time, and and it was they, they turned it on scalding, so literally burnt burnt me, and then I had to put my smelly clothes back on, and then uh, you know, and then another time they took me to the shower, and I had one of the guards like molesting me and saying, oh, you have a good strong body, and it went through my head that you know I'm I'm about to get possibly raped here or I can fight this guy and probably injure him if not kill him but then what's the consequences of being beaten up by the rest of them and being raped multiply you know I mean it's a fucking horrendous thing to have to think of yeah. you know do you do you accept what's going to happen to you or do you fight that knowing that it's going to be bloody 10 times worse right so there's all this shit going on I'm a negotiator by, by by nature and because I've taught myself and because I'm constantly learning about people. So I'm in this situation where my freedom's taken away. I haven't had the, 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 the one phone call to my family. There's no phone calls. They said, hey, nobody knows you're here. You've been taken from that restaurant. Even they're not going to say that you've been taken. Nobody's going to know where you are. That's it, my friend. You've disappeared. Like you fell off the side of the earth. Right. So the only thing that I could do was try to figure out what's going on. And I thought I made the decision at that point that, OK, you know what, whatever the consequences are, whatever's going to happen to my family is going to happen to them. But for me, what they what's the control these guys have over me is that they've taken away my liberty. They've taken away my freedom, but I haven't imprisoned my mind. Mm. And I'm not about to bloody cry, cry and beg my life on my knees i'm not going to die like a, a begging dog i thought no if, if i'm going to die i'll die on my terms right what a fucking thing to think of like okay i'm prepared to die and the the other decision that i made was hang on how much pain am i going to take how much torture am i going to have fine you know what they're telling me it's going to get worse it's going to get worse that fear that they're trying to put into my head that alone could defeat me and beat me. So make the, just accept it, accept that it's going to be very painful and it's going to be brutal. But the thing is, you know, in anticipation of that, if I'm accepting it, I'm no longer scared about it. And now I'm saying, okay, fine. I know it's coming and I'm accepting it, right? So it's, it's a different thing, man, to, to be fearful of, hey, I'm going to poke your eyes out and I'm going to pull your fingernails out. And the thing, okay, well, I know that's going to come because here's the thing. My body's going to take as much pain as it's built for. 
and then I'm going to die and I'm going to be at peace, right? So between now and that point, I've got to get into your heads and I've got to make you feel that you've made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. So that was it. So that was it. So, so that was my turning point. And then what happened was I started observing how the guards came and went. I started observing how they questioned me and who seemed to have the power play. And then what I did was when individuals came, because they'd come individually and bring me some water or food. And I started planting seeds and I said to one of them, hey, where's your boss? What do you mean my boss? I don't have no boss. I said, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the guy you come in with, he's your boss, right? You're always, you're always walking behind him. And when he comes, he asks the questions and you make the notes like a secretary. Oh, I am no secretary. How dare you call me a secretary? You know, and I'm starting to plant these seeds of doubt in their own head about who they think they are. And then there was another guy and, I'm, and, and, and they're interrogating me. And as they're asking me these questions, I start putting questions in there to them, for, for themselves. So when they ask me something, I would tell them a story about my situation or about my life. Because one, I was letting them know that I'm as human as they are and I'm the same kind of person as they are away from their uniform and away from their work. That I'm a family guy. I've got a mother and father. I've got brothers and sisters. I've got kids. I've got nephews and nieces. I watch TV. You know, I do all the usual shit that you do. I'm not some evil guy who's been planning and plotting. But in, in those conversations, I started planting seeds. And then with one of the guys, I said, hey, look, you know, it seems to me that the others don't respect you. And the reason why I say that is because I think that your dad got you this job. And maybe maybe your father got it. Because I know nepotism is rife in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And this guy freaks out. Hey, how do, you, how do you know that about me? How do you know that my father got me this job? So now these guys thinking, how the fuck? Do I know that? And then I'm saying, do you? And yeah, and then I, and then I start going further, saying, yeah. Do, do, do you think that if I'm the terrorist, do you not think I wanted to be caught? Maybe I wanted to be caught. Maybe I want you to make me into a martyr, because you see, when you make me into a martyr, there's going to be thousands of others who are going to follow me, mm-hmm. right? And then I, you know, and then I, I start saying, and look, what's the consequences of this? You see, I'm I'm embracing death. I'm ready for death. I look forward to it because it's a release because I'm going to go and I'm going to be surrounded by virgins and I'm going to be having these orgies and I'm going to be having all these great times. But you're going to be left on the earth, but you know what's going to happen to you? My people know where I am and they know that you're going to be behind this. So when they come and they destroy your family in front of you, all of your family, your wife, your father, your mother, your kids, whoever, but they won't hurt you. And so that every day when you wake up, you look in the mirror, you will be living hell. And you'll just see me smiling in the mirror. Smiling. You know, and so, so this was kind of the thing. So, sure. so the most powerful thing that you can do, right? We have persuasion. We have, we have influence. We have persuasion. Then we have manipulation. So with some of the guards, I had to figure out what their mental strength was and capacity really was. Some I had to kind of influence and steer slightly. Some I had to drop a little bit heavier and give persuasion. And some I had to outright manipulate in order for them to react in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, and, and don't forget, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sleep deprived. So as you know, and as the audience knows, when you go into sleep deprivation mode, because you've partied for two or three days, at least you can go home and sleep it off. And if you've worked because you had a project to get in, at some point you have a relief. But when you're caged up, and you're chained 
even to go to the bathroom and you're given some good food and some bad food that makes you ill and you're constantly being knocked around and you put on polygraphs and, and you are under extreme, extreme stress. And on top of that, you're under these bright lights 24 seven, apart from the odd couple of times when they took me to what I refer to the oven, which was a, a, a hole that I crawled in on my hands and knees and it had shit piss and blood in there and sick. And they shut the doors, it, it, literally you can't breathe because of the stench and because of the hot air and they just leave you stewing there. And that's where the hypnosis came in because you know what, I could, and I hadn't, I hadn't done self-hypnosis for so many years, but it frigging came back to me at that point when I was in there. Cause you know what, I was gagging and throwing and I thought, fuck, I've got to figure out how to do this and get mm -hmm. out of this. Cause I'm just going to choke on my own vomiting here and fucking die. So it was taking my mind away from there. The body was in there, but the mind was elsewhere breathing fresh air in a cool breeze. So all of these elements came, came about and, and to the point, I mean, I, I've written a book about it. It goes into all of it. And the book, again, it's not about, and I, and I don't look for sympathy of anybody about the physical abuse and all that. It, and, and the mental abuse, it's more about how do you cope? How do you understand your own mind? How do you, how do you understand who you are at that moment in time? How do you figure out how you're going to get out of there? Mm -hmm. And also, how do you take control of the little thing that you have, which is <laughs> little of it? The only thing you can control is your own mind, right? And the rest of it isn't, isn't, isn't in your hands. So that was it. So, so I've, I've written about it. And then eventually what happened was, was that the British consulate did come in and they said, look, we didn't know you were being held. We know that you've been accused of this. Here's a list of lawyers. We suggest you try and find a good one. That's about all we can do. And uh, I'm like, yeah, but you know I'm innocent, right? Well, you, you, you know I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. It's like, yeah, but they're accusing you of a crime. Anyway, what happened was literally tw within 24 hours of that happening, these guys decided to let us go on the condition that we left the country. But as we as we came back out and, and were brought in, because, and again, I'm, I'm going back and forth because I'm trying to paint the picture. Yeah. We, I, I was put on these polygraph tests and they told me, you know, the guy is a major in the army. He's been doing this for 20 years. And my results were so conclusive. He was convinced that I was definitely the mastermind and that my friends were innocent and they'd, they'd let my friends go home. So at this point, when they're saying, look, they're going to they're gonna let me go, at that point, I see my friends. And they, they hand the passports and they say, look, this guy is crazy. He would have backed down. You know, he's, he's literally saved your lives. You've got 24 hours to get out of the country. And when we come out of there, my friend said to me, they said, look, we heard these guys laying into you and beating into you. And when they used to come to interrogate us, they'd say, oh, yeah, we're going to break your friend, Alan. You know, he's breaking point. He's this. You know, he's giving us good information. He's doing this. He's doing this. <laughs> but in reality, it was, you know, and, and they and they thought that that these guys had, had got the best of me. They thought, look, we thought that they'd freaking destroyed you. But the thing was, it wasn't. I turned the tables on these guys. Mm -hmm. And they, and literally, it was kind of, if it's a mistaken identity, then you need to let me go. And if I am the real person, then do you really want the consequences of these actions? Are you prepared for them? Right? So that was it. So what did I negotiate? I negotiated 
their level of fear against my level of fear. Sure. And essentially that, that's what it was. It was a battle of minds because that's all I had to fight with. Yeah. And, wow. You know, just so, just so much to unpack there between the negotiation side, like you said, going from influence, persuasion and manipulation uh, to really who can take on the mind mindset fuck the most is what it come down to. I mean, that's what it came down to. It came, it came down to a, 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 a sparring round of life uh, on which mindset stamina had the longest, the biggest stamina. Right. And, you know, in, in, you know, as before, before we hit record on this, we were talking about the mindset investor piece and investing in your mindset. And by you focusing so heavily on your mindset and your skill set and so forth, you, you simply increased your odds of survival in that, in, in that, in that environment, you know, and Alam, I, I tell people this when I'm speaking on clubhouse and in rooms, which is you could be the expert swimmer and take all the swimming courses. There is, you can be an Olympic. I mean, you could be Michael Phelps, but Michael Phelps in a swimming pool can still drown. Right. But by him, training and working on his skill set and his mindset increases his odds not to drown right and that's exactly what you did is you played the odds you had the odds in your favor by going back to those practices of mindset and so forth looking back at that but right. man man oh man i mean you know and the, the question i have for you though is you know your friends are in this in the same situation like you and I mean, it, it's amazing. And maybe it's just too much of me watching James Bond movies or spy shows or what have you. Whereas they could have easily got your friends to go against you to get them to sign a confession to say he is the mastermind so they can get their freedom. But they didn't, which is just amazing as well. Right. So, so here's the thing. Out of the three friends, one of my friends... They totally destroyed him. They, they, they broke him down. When he came out of there, he looked like he'd aged 20 years. And, and he's, never really, he's never really recovered from that. He's never spoken about it. And since then, it's like we've only spoken a couple of times. The others I've spoken about. And it's funny you say about the confession thing, because here was the point, right? One was that I thought, if I don't get out of here, at least I'll die on my terms. And the second thing was, I had a glimmer of hope that if I can trigger something off in these guys, if I can make them fearful or I can make them full of pride, because one of them, he was questioning me. And I said, yeah, you're the only one who's actually figured certain things out. Because at some point he said to me, oh, you came here and you put a disguise on. And I said, what, which disguise, you know, what is it you're talking about? He goes, oh, when you came here, you had a beard and you went and had it shaved. And then you had this design made where, you had these two bits going down in this goatee and the two stripes signifies Taliban because Taliban means two students. It doesn't, but that was his belief. Sure. And I said, and, and so when he's questioning me, he sat in this swiveling chair on his desk and I'm stood against this wall with my arms up like this or like this. And he's questioning me. And I said, Hey, I think you're the only one who's figured that out. <laughs> you're the only one who actually realizes who I am. And then he stops because he, he, and then I'm saying, but here's your chance to actually be the hero. Why don't you go bring me the phone and let me tell the British consulate where the next bombing is going to happen and you will be the one who will have saved the UK. 
and your bosses are going to have to promote you. And these others who don't respect you and don't like you because your father got you the job, they're going to have to bow down to you because mm-hmm. you're the fucking James Bond. And I said that. I said, you're the James Bond who's figured it out who I am. Mm-hmm. And you're the one who can say that you broke me and I gave you the confession. And yeah, and so then then I got into this conversation and I saw the pupils widen. Yeah. And he said, I'll come closer, sit on the sit on the desk. And, and I sat in a chair and I could see the pupils widen. I could see him salivating and I painted the picture. I said, Go bring me the phone. He went to go get it. And I was convinced that there was cameras in the room. And this is what convinced me. He came back and one of the bosses came. He said, Hey, hey, if you want anything, you have to come to me. You have to tell me. You can't tell him. You know, I'll give you the phone, I'll give you this, but you must yeah. tell me. I said, Look, I'm not talking to you. I only trust him. And it's like, no, 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 well, that way, well, fine. And if you only trust him, I'm going to make it worse for you. But again, before being released, I did write a confession. I wrote, I, I got to the point where I told them, uh, I said, look, give me, give me pen and paper. I'll, I'll write the confession that you want. And I put down, hey, I'm friends with Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden. And I did this, I did this. And this is how we planned this. And they said, well, how did you raise the money? And I said, well, I did a sponsored bike ride. And I've been holding fates. And they go, what is a fate? So for the Americans and, and for the others across the world, a fate is a church sale. It's where you bake a cake. A bake sale, yeah, church. A bake sale, right? That's what it is. So I said so in this confession, I said, hey, I raised the money. I did a sponsored bike ride. And, I, and I've been holding fates all across the country to raise the money. What is this? I said, look, you give this to the British government and you tell them you've got me. And you put me on the camera so I can tell the British people that I'm prepared to die. And all I'm thinking is somebody may see me and think this poor fucking idiot's been stitched up. Get him out of there. Or if they present this to the British government, the guy's going to laugh and say, who the fuck's written this confession? This is so fucking stupid. Well, we've got him in, in, in holding. Are you bloody kidding? Get this fucking guy out. You know, so these were the kind of things that I was thinking w- would work in my favor. But it was a glimmer. It was a glimmer. I hope that I've got to try this shit. Yes. If I don't try, then I've fucking given up. I might as well die. Because these fuckers can, can put, leave me here, wrong or right. Even if I'm innocent, they could leave me locked up here and, and walk away. Sure. So it's a case of, I need a reaction. I need you to get me out. I need you to bloody take the bait and, and put me out and put me on the TV or try and be the hero or do this, do this. So there was all these kind of elements. But yeah, the point was, they broke one of my friends. The other two suffered and yeah. eventually came out. And then once we, once we came out and they released us, then there was another 24, 36 hours of trying to get out of the country. Sure. My passport was refused because I'd applied for residency. We were being chased by the secret police all the time. We'd been told we were going to be shot and, and our car would be set on fire and arms would be planted on us, that drugs would be planted in our apartment, that one way or another, they were going to stitch us up to show that we were guilty in order to, um, you know, in order to back up what they'd done to us because they couldn't have us released and going off. And, 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 and telling people that we've been innocently accused, right? Sure. Couldn't you, I mean, and I apologize, like, you know, for my ignorance, but couldn't you have just gone right to the British consular embassy and just camped out there until it was time to fly out? No, they, um, they have to follow diplomatic channels. Mm, and so off the record, somebody actually told me that look as much as we want to help you we can't get involved but your life's at your life's in danger and you need to get out of here as soon as you can wow and that was essentially 
you know, and that was from a, a pretty high up source. Sure. And um, and that was it, man. And so eventually, you know, and again, I go into details in the book. Uh, eventually, we get to the airport. We finally get on the plane. The plane leaves, and we land in England. And it's like I come out of the plane, and the airport is absolutely swarming with armed officers. And I thought, right, here we go. And we walk down the gangway and we come out and nobody's tugged us and we see our friends and we walk off with our friends and nobody's followed us and it's like nothing wow. but then after that <laughs> after that a couple of weeks after that maybe a month after that under the freedom of information act we asked for our files and we found out that our situation and our names have been discussed at the highest level in british government and actually been discussed by uh the prime minister at the time and everything else wow so you, know, that, man. <laughs> you know and i definitely want to talk about your book shortly here but there's two things like in my like i know you've done and correct me if i'm wrong with the numbers here i mean you've wrote as 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 of based on my the research that my team put together here at the time you've brokered over 350 uh, million pounds deals worldwide i'm sure that's an understatement in different industries like aviation, you talk about real estate, commodities, manufacturing, and financial. But, you know, and for myself, I mean, I have a, a sales background. That's one of my passions. I take pride in knowing that I've, I've, you know, done over $100 million in sales. But in my book of business, my personal book of business, there's really two things that when you're talking, when you're speaking about how you're able to, to take control, so to speak, which was two factors. Number, number one was shut up and listen. I tell people, you want to be successful in business, it's shut the F up and listen. Listen not with your ears, but listen with your eyes. Listen with all your senses. Get a grasp and take inventory. Yes. And number two is if you let the other person think they're in charge, you're really in charge. And that's how you're able, in my opinion, to diffuse a lot of those things and really through the taking inventory of what, understanding what each each is each person's motivations were was it pride was it fear what was it you know yes. so uh just remarkable because you know when you look at all these other negotiation books out there it's all about oh it's about a lot about flexing oh look at the deal i got and that kind of stuff but here i mean there's no other choice yeah there's, there's no, no other, other choice right. right um your book innocent terrorists so tell us a bit about your book. Like, when did the book come out? Uh, I'm I, I'm really looking forward to reading it, um, and because uh, I believe there's going to be a lot of life lessons in it. So I I, I wrote the book, um, and what happened was actually I started writing pretty much after I came back because I was suffering from nightmares and visions and all sorts of hallucinations. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I figured. The best way would be for me to write down what I'd been through, what experience, mm -hmm. and that was my own personal therapy. You know, it was it was a it was a, a way of getting the demons out and onto paper and and and, and getting everything out visually. You know, sure. away from me so that I wouldn't have to keep reliving it. And so um, I wrote the book, and then we did uh, we were with a small UK publisher, and, and we got it published. And then what happened was I had other stuff. And, and here's the crazy thing. After this, what happened was I went on in my work and I've negotiated for other people's lives. I've dealt with 
uh, you know, people, uh, funny enough, in Afghanistan, uh, across Africa, and all sorts of places, people have come to me, private situations where governments won't get involved and people like that, people have been taken for ransom and this and that and the other, or possessions have been held by militia groups and things, and they want to figure out how to do it or how to get it back. And also because I do have links with uh, ex-British army guys who kind of can provide certain services. So I had all of that, but I actually went on to then train for the London Olympics, train a bunch of people up who were uh, providing security services in order to spot anxiety in people when they're coming through the gates and things like that. And then um, I've been asked to advise on uh, other projects and, and stuff like that. So it's crazy that, that my mindset, and, and actually what I did was I actually teamed up with uh, a Muslim imam and we created a program that would help us to deprogram the radicalized guys in prison. Mm. So we actually submitted that to the government and they looked at it and then there was issues about funding and this and that and the other. But, but basically his perspective was one of understanding what they misunderstood religiously and what they'd been taught and, and what had been explained to them on the religious element. And my part of it was to actually figure out, again, what the narrative was, what was the story behind the story, mm -hmm. what their thought process was that led them to believe that what they had been told was real and real enough to them in order to make them do things which were, you know, um, unacceptable and, and, and you know, terrorist-related activities. So there was all this kind of stuff that, 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 that came about. And um, it's just, it's just uh, incredible, um, you know, the whole, the whole experience was, was so intense that literally I had um, depressive cycles, and you know, I was on an emotional roller coaster, and it and it really was a case of you know sitting down, writing the book, and and in the book again, I kind of I, I touch upon all the stuff that's happened, but my main emphasis in the book was about how these interrogations or certain situations happened, and the things that I noticed, and I want the reader to kind of pick these out with the body language, the linguistics the pattern, the embedded pattern, the, mm -hmm. you know, uh, heuristics and figuring out, like you said, you know, what's, what's the personality driver of this person? Is it pride? Is it, is it greed? Is it ego? Is it, you know, fear? Mm -hmm. Is it, what is it? So once you kind of figure out those kind of elements, you can pretty much um, steer your conversation mm -hmm. in the right way to hit the musical notes that will, you know, work, with these people so sure. that was kind of it but it was a big therapy for me man to write it out so what we did was um like i said so i wrote it and then because i got involved in all this other stuff i didn't want to publicize the book because also i was still living in fear i, I mean i lived in such paranoia that okay i could still be stitched up at this at any point mm -hmm. i felt somebody was somebody was coming in and out of the houses when i wasn't there i you know i'd come up come to my car and i would have to um check the back seat before I got in I'd look under the car and make sure there was nothing wrong and, and I lived with this for years like this constant paranoia moving around and um, just all this fear so so I kind of let it all subside and I, and, I, and I wrote the book just as a therapy and I let it go 
And then what happened was then obviously then the pandemic hit last year. And um, and because of that, I had I had um, you know C level execs and CEOs reaching out to me saying, how do we do strategy? How do we do business growth, etc. So I started kind of speaking to a few of them and, and figuring out where they were. And I thought, okay, I'll work with a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And then what became apparent after a while, one of them, he actually broke down. He said, look, man, this thing has screwed my business. I've had to lay off people that have worked with me for years. I consider them family. My relationship's struggling. He said, I've been a, a winner all my life. I've done really well. He says, and now I'm fucked because of this fucking pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, you know, let me just share something with you about, about my life and, and, and how bad it got. And I told him, and this guy was like blown away. He said, no fucking way that you live through that. He said, I, I'd have never have guessed it. Mm-hmm. And he said, how did you come, come through it? And I said, well, there's a way to do this that, that worked for me. And, I, and I'm happy to share it with you if you, if you want to be committed to getting over this. So we started working on this and uh, having daily calls and, and check-ins and then two weeks three weeks into that we jump on a zoom call and he says oh there's a few people that need to join us and he puts these other friends of his other executives and other bosses of companies he said look guys this is a guy i'm telling you about he needs he he said look you need to help all of them and then uh and then he said to me he said look man i'm 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 jealous of your time i'd like to keep you all to myself but but my friends need your help Sure. And it's crazy from there. It's like, because I thought, okay, look, what I did was specific to me and it fixed me and helped me to sort of a certain extent. I mean, some of the shit that's there is embedded, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have these things, you know, I can't, if I'm sleeping and, and I'll get woke suddenly, I mean, literally yes. I fly ready to fight and kill within a split second of being in a deep sleep. It's just sure. crazy. Some some reactions, they're just so embedded. Yeah, But um. But again, yeah, so it's kind of come about, okay, you know. And I said to them, look, there's a way, this is how I worked for me. I, tr- You know, I started helping them, and it's worked for them. And so it's kind of, then they said, oh, well, we should put you out as the CEO whisperer or some shit like that, right? And I said, look, I'm not after publicity. I'm just, you know, I'm happy to do stuff. I'm happy to do sure. business. That's, that's what I really enjoy. But funny enough, yeah, it has kind of built up a little bit now. Yeah. Um, I do have a little bit more of, of, of that and, and a bit of an advisory service where I you. will do it. And, and I will do it only with executives simply because it's time intensive. And it's like, look, man, this shit is hard. And so I, I need to be paid for it. And, and I demand a good because I, I'm putting a high price on it because that's the only way you're going to implement what I'm telling you. Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if, if Jim's would, if Jim, if Jim's would charge 2000 pounds a month, everybody would have a six pack. Right. Right. right? But if it's yeah, if they're, yeah. if, right, if they're charging, you know, a couple of pence, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you got $10, $10 a month gyms. Yeah. You know, people sign up and then and they never go. And they so never it's all go. that kind of stuff. But yeah. So this, so, so with the pandemic that came about and then I got into, introduced to clubhouse in december okay. and then middle of january and a good friend of mine sahel he said look um don't just have your name on there put it down as you are the negotiation expert because look you've got an incredible story yes. and, you, and you've negotiated for stuff which which people haven't they just talk about and he said look, all these people you know writing these books and doing these youtube things he said they're, they're absolutely full of shit so so from that i thought okay and he said look just you know just let people know because I, 
you know something, I still had that fear that people might think, well, maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there is something behind it. There's no smoke without fire, all that bullshit. But but actually on Clubhouse, I have been uh, embraced and, and people have accepted and, sure. and they want to know. And they want to know what I've been through and they want to know how I became so resilient and how I've become this. And so on my website, you know, if, if you go alangrafford.com, I actually do put conquer your mind because once you conquer your mind you can conquer others Absolutely. you know and, and and there's plenty of these people out there who tell you they're a, a ninja mind or they're this and that and it's like look man you've you know you're talking about people who've gone through divorces and deaths in the family and this i've been through all of that but but you know there's very few people who have actually been in a situation where you faced extreme death you know yes. uh, in, in a very volatile horrible way and to come out of it and so that, that's kind of what stands me stands me yeah, out abs absolutely for sure and and that's that's why i you know when i first heard your story and i just said to my team we need to connect with alam right away and get him on the show because this is where it hits and this is where i said you know the hero's journey you know um alam, you know as we come to a close here i do have three more questions for you um, what, one of the, one, I, I really want to know your thoughts on, on this. This is a quote from your website, which is very, very powerful. What man is a man who does not make the world a better? Right. So, so the first part of that is the Latin, Nemo vir es qui mundum non redat meliorum, right? What man is a man who does not make the world better? Man or woman can be substituted. Sure. It's Latin, yeah. so you have to forgive the gender thing, right? But yeah. So look, we're, we're all on this journey, right? We have to make a difference. We have to. You can make a difference. Your, your, your world, your worldview can be the whole world. It could be your local city, your local town, your local community, your local church, or even just your family is your world. But what man is a man who does not make the world better? So try and make that world better, man. Make it better, you know? There's no weakness in kindness. Kindness is a strength, right? Don't let people think and mistake your kindness for weakness because it's not. Right. Love, caring, sympathy, empathy. But the biggest power of all, and, and the biggest thing that I learned, it took me years to learn because I was angry and I was resentful and hateful. And I thought, you know, if I get any of these guys, man, I would do this to them, do that, and I'd like to do this, this. But that shit just ate away at me and it fuels me, right? But the day when I woke up and I thought, you know what? I've come away from there and they're still imprisoned me. They're still imprisoned me because I'm still fucking thinking about it. They That's probably right. don't even think about me anymore because I'm out of the way. Yeah. They're, they're probably never batted an eyelid unless it's come up in the odd conversation. We had this crazy fucking guy once and he was fucking insane, right? But they don't think about it why am I in this prison now where I'm still there and I'm hating them and I'm angry and I thought, fuck that, man. You know what? They're human beings. Whatever they did under the guise of their uniform, there's got to be something that, that, that put that in, in their mind. Maybe they were bullied as a kid. Maybe they were abused. Maybe there's a hundred and one reasons why they became these horrible people. Yeah. And maybe it's just the power of the uniform and the badge that makes them horrible. So it's like, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did to me yeah. because you know what? Thanks to that, I've come out better and I'm not going to hold on to this bloody anger and hate yeah. because it doesn't serve me. Yeah. So once I did that, 
Once I forgive that shit, man, the fucking whole world became better. The yeah. world became better to me, man. And I, and I, I tell people this. I say, listen, stop being so fucking miserable and, and, and worried about shit because you're breathing. So you've got, you woke up breathing. So you've got yeah. another day in you, right? You step outside, you feel the air on your skin, whether it's cold or hot or windy or rain. You're feeling it on your skin. You're breathing fresh air. You've got freedom. You're walking along the street and somebody smiles at you and nods their head at you. That's a fucking blessing from the universe, man. When your kid smiles at you or your wife smiles at you or laughs at some shit that you're doing, those are blessings, man. When you start thinking of the bird song being a blessing, the birds are singing and greeting you. When you start looking at lot like that and you think, you know what? I forgive you motherfuckers for doing this shit to me, no matter who's done wrong to you. Sure. The fuckers have got no power on you anymore. Absolutely. And you have freed yourself from every shackle. And it's yeah. crazy as it sounds, but I tell you, man, that is the biggest thing. I believe it, man. I'm a firm believer. For forgiveness is the most powerful weapon because it and, disarms the next person and it puts and, you back and, in the driver's seat. And you know, the crazy thing is, you, you, you know how long it took me to figure that out? It wasn't until the day that I actually looked what my surname, Mel, uh, surname meant. My surname, Gafur, in Arabic actually means to forgive wow right that's what it fucking means man i swear to god go google it before in arabic means to forgive unbelievable and it's like fuck man forgive all of that forgive myself for all of yeah. the shit and move on man Absolutely. and that's been a revelation man yeah so. and and, that, and that's what what i've been doing too you know when i hit those those moments in my life and other moments i just said i i forgive those motherfuckers they're just idiots i forgive them for being idiots let them be. Yeah. And it was the most yeah. liberating thing. Right, right. It was the most liberating thing. And I, I, I don't want to say that in a, in a negative context, but I'm not going to, those are, those are the shackles. And you know yes. what? I'm looking to surround myself with people that are put wind at my sails and I could be wind at their sails and not anchors right. holding them down. Right. Um, the uh, next question I have to ask you, which is a question I ask all my guests is, uh, um, the day we meet our maker and, you know, we don't decide what's going to be put on our, on our tombstone. Someone else will, what will be written on your tombstone? That's a br brilliant question. Okay. So, so when I was, so I'm going to go back to, to, to being detained when they were telling me they're going to kill me. I thought, I thought, shit, I'm going to meet my maker. And what about the crap that I've done? I've got to be, now I'm going to be held accountable for it, right? For the crap that I've done, if I've hurt somebody's feelings, if I've been mean to an ex-partner or, you know, I've done some bad stuff, shit, I'm going to be accountable for that. So how do, how do I face my maker, you know? It's, it's judgment day for me. And um, that was the thing. And I thought, you know what? Well, here's the thing. Maybe, maybe my maker wants to, give me a horrible death, maybe this will be my way of cleansing myself, right, from the earthly sins, right, and the worldly shit that I've done. And so only through this pain that I'm about to get am I going to be freed from those bad things that I did in order to be accepted. So there's, there's that kind of conversation mm -hmm. you have with yourself. But yeah, on my tombstone, man, look, you know what? I, I, I'd, I'd like it to be that... <clears throat> Um, I'd like it to be that it, it, it's, a, you know, he, he, he was real, genuine. He loved everyone 
because I do. I love everyone, man. You know, good or bad, I, I, I love them because everybody's got some goodness in them, and and I truly believe that. But yeah, I I think I think really I I would I would like it to to to, to say. He did make the world better. You know, he did. That's mm-hmm. what I would say, really, yeah. oh, it's powerful, man. Um, lastly, what is the best way for the audience to follow your journey, follow what you're doing, connect with you? Sure. So you can you can um, uh, message me on my website, uh, com. You can find me on LinkedIn, send me a connection request. You can do that. And you can find me on Clubhouse. Uh, it's down as um, Negotiation Expert. You'll find it on Gafour. You can find me on Twitter. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for anybody and everybody to reach out. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve and help, you know. And if I can help anybody in any way, shape or form, then I would do my absolute best to, to, to do that, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, that's it, yeah. Give me LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, instagram as well and uh through my website so yeah i'm open excellent um alam i just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity i want to say thank you so much for just being so open i want to say thank you for just being you know uh making the world a better place man thank you thank you appreciate that appreciate that man i really do from the bottom of my heart you know and it's great, man. I, I really appreciate you reaching out and connecting. It's great. And, and I know you've been on a journey yourself and you've been through the struggle. So it's it's nice to know, you know, that, that, that again, we've got like-minded people who have been through struggles and they haven't become bitter and hateful and resentful. You know, yeah. we've come through. Some people, unfortunately, do become yeah. bitter and resentful. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to get them out of that. But for those of us who have come through, and seen the other side and do that and now you're trying to make a, a difference in the world by putting your podcast out and sharing knowledge appreciate you brother appreciate you man thank you man i appreciate this and you know what what we're going to do is we're going to put all your information in the show notes so people can reach out go to your website we're going to put a link for your book as well um and uh, like i said want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and for my audience as well so thank you thank you so much thank you